This is an LLD production. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Always Opinions, the podcast dedicated to the world we love so we can learn new things and debate the toughest issues the world has in store. I am your host, Armand Olia. I am a journalism student at Drexel University of Philadelphia. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the revolution, and let's just get this party started, shall we? Um, first of all, thank you guys for listening to the last episode. For those of you who are tuning in from He's Locked in My Basement with Checo, shout out to him, by the way. He did great. Absolutely funny. The freestyle rapping at the beginning, I thought was just perfect. Um, I, I, I couldn't really say much more than that. I thought it was such a great episode. I thank everyone for your patience. and I'm so sorry that I couldn't get it to you last week. I will explain why that was the case in the future. I promise. But that was then. This is now. Let's introduce this week's special guest host. Besides me, he's probably contributed the most to Olia's opinions as a whole. He is a painter, a graphic designer, a marketer. He's a mixed martial arts expert. He is a master didgeridoo player. He's a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. Those final three things I'm not sure are true. You can always ask him, double check. But he is my cousin. He is the original creator of the Olius Opinions theme, which Zach Crow was amazing to redo. Shout out to Zach Crow, by the way. We're going to play some of his music a little later on, but I promise we'll get to that. But that's delaying from the point, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, my cousin, Omid Ladijani. Omid, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's quite an introduction. Yeah. And let's just point this out right now. We are not in the same room. Can we Can we actually, so that the viewers and the listeners are can make sure, we are not in the same room. That's right. We're, I'm in Austin, Texas, and where are you? I'm in Philadelphia, per usual. I always try my best to do like as much face-to-face as possible. However, in these cases, I love using Zoom. And by the way, this is a completely unpaid, unsponsored plug for Zoom. It is an amazing video conferencing software you can download on your Mac, on your PC, on your iPad, on any device. You can do video conferences. You can actually record them too. You can record the audio, which is what we're doing right now. Go online, get Zoom. Trust me, you will not regret it. It is free unless you want to do something with three or more people. But like one-on-one is great. It is so amazing. I would recommend it to anybody. Obviously, you have to pay a little bit if you want to get more premium service. But trust me, for what I'm trying to do, it's perfect. So guys, go get Zoom. I cannot stress that enough. It is amazing. But I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Omid, how have you been doing? I've been doing fantastic. I'm really excited. We have a cult front coming. So we're going to have a little, uh, you know, talk with the North Pole. <laughs> a cold front in Austin, is that, is that normal? I mean, no, because, you know, we can, we, we can cook our food out on top of our trucks because it gets so hot here. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's nice to get a little change. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, like, you know, when was the last time we, we talked, do you think? You and me talked? Yeah. It's been a minute. Uh, well, more than a minute. I'd say like maybe a few months, I'd say. Maybe so, yeah. About maybe a month and a half or a month or yeah. so, yeah. Because definitely last time I saw you, you didn't have that beard. Because that was just like, I'm just going to say this right now to the, to the listeners who can't see this. Omid right now has such a crazy large beard. It is absolutely, <laughs> it blows my mind. And I, I want to bring something up. You recently came up with a book called Baby. And how's that going? How's that going for you? I heard you're working on an English version of that. Uh, uh, good. It's going good. This book, uh, back to the beard real quick. Uh, I thank the Persian ancestors who ate all the lambs and goats. And so we can grow beards in no time. Um, yeah. So I'm really, uh, excited because, um, if I was to die tomorrow, I've left something behind, uh, for the Persian culture that is a powerful seed. Um, and it's, um, 
kind of getting into the realm of um, the essence of language. Yeah. And certain languages have aged like wine. Uh, in the Persian language, it's an aged wine language yeah. uh, that has evolved over time in the hands of the wise. And so this book called Bebin, which is an informal way of saying, hey, check this out, have a look at this, uh, is a, um, uh, a book about the Persian language from the very feel of it. Uh, it's not to prove anything, rather open a door of lots of fun and insight to the Persian language that I'm really excited about. And uh, yeah, this winter I plan to work on um, an English version of it. Um, and of course, it'll be unique. It'll be different from the actual book that I have right now for the Persian language, the Farsi language. Yeah. But uh, it's great. I'm about to um, have set a date for a, um, an opening for the book, you know, locally. So I'm going to create an event soon. Yeah. How much of a challenge is, by the way, in terms of translating, the, not literally translating the, the book from Farsi to English, but in terms of how different the two languages are? So when a person is really thirsty for knowledge and wisdom, uh, they will go to the other side of the world uh, and to find those wisdom keepers that have unique keys. And that key could open many doors and continue to opening doors. And then the person who's gained those doors, or the, the, the keys rather, can, can gift those keys to other thirsty seekers. Uh, that's a metaphoric way of putting it. And so... Uh, it's not necessarily to translate it verbatim rather than to um, express it um, uh, relative and subjective to English readers and speakers. So it's going to be a unique, uh, a unique book, just like trees have unique leaves every, every time the spring season comes about. They don't produce the same leaves. It's the same thing. It's not a set in stone sort of book, rather just like giving uh, Farsi or English speakers a key to open up ways of insight so that they could have an, a unique fun and experience with language in general. Yeah. And obviously we can talk more about that on a future episode. I really want to do a Persian music episode at some point. And when that happens, I'm totally yeah. going to call you and get you on there. But Absolutely. The, but Very the exciting. main reason why... I put you on this episode is because of a little something you sort of helped bring back into sort of American like mindset and sort of like you open a lot of people's eyes to this. It's the culture of the didgeridoo. That's right. Uh, the didgeridoo is a wind instrument uh, from Northern East Australia, which by now everyone I'm sure have seen um, some of the older movies like Crocodile Dundee where, a person who's painted with white clay is playing this giant wood that sounds like kind of bassy. And, and, um, and over time, you know, um, with the advent of the internet, YouTube and all that social media, uh, most people now in modern world have somehow encountered, uh, or seen, uh, videos or sounds of this instrument. Um, and so since I live in Austin, Texas, here uh, is a very fertile soil for self-expression and mediums of self-expression. And, um, and I was fortunate to bring myself here about 20 years ago and walking downtown one late Wednesday night, uh, came across uh, two people, uh, young people, uh, this guy and a girl uh, who were walking together in a dark part of uh, 6th Street close to I-35, if you're all from Austin, you know what I'm talking about. Well, back in the day, it was darker. <laughs> and um, you, I could feel light coming out of these two. I, I'm sure you, you know what I mean. You look at some people, you can see certain vibes from them, and they just, some kind of glow about them. And they were carrying all these things. And I just walked up. I'm like, hey, what are y'all, what are y'all carrying? He's like, these are didgeridoos. I'm like, wow, that's an Australian thing. He's like, yeah. So I bought one from him. And then... I noticed that when I was playing it, people would run to it. It was like a magnet. And so it led me to uh, um, a, a very unique path that has changed my entire life. 
Didn't you actually go down to Australia and live with the uh, Aboriginals in Australia in order to perfect your craft? I have. Uh, what's interesting is I've learned in my life that whatever a person is passionate about, when you really become super duper passionate, you know what I mean? Passionate in a way that whatever it is that you're passionate about becomes a single raindrop in the middle of a desert, you know, that kind of passion. And I just happened to be like that. Um, this passion led me to the source. The source comes close an inch close a day when you're passionate about something. And yes, uh, I went to the Joshua Tree Didgeridoo Festival back in 2003. They had funded the custodian of the instrument. His name is Jalo Gurewiwi. And he was there with his wife and sister, their elders from Northern Territory, Australia. And they were there for this Didgeridoo Festival, this festival, awesome festival with the most amazing people uh, who are makers and players of this beautiful instrument and were gathered that beautiful sacred spot of Joshua tree, uh, to, uh, enjoy sharing knowledge and wisdom of this instrument. And they funded the custodians of this instrument to come there. They have the cultural baton of this beautiful instrument. And I can describe this instrument more. Um, but yes, I went and I met them there and the story began. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that story, like in terms of your experiences down in Australia? Uh, so uh, at the festival, when I met them, you know, sometimes you meet people, you're like, where have you been all my life? Yeah. When I met them eight in the morning when no one around, uh, we looked at each other, waved, and we were like, where have you been all my life? It's that kind of vibe. And they gave me a name in less than five minutes after feeling my vibe. They gave me a name called Larpan. Larpan means a spear cloud, a cloud shape of a spear, and um, also a shooting star. <clears throat> and so I took really good care of them the time that they were there, and he taught his traditional ways of the instrument. And so, you know, we spent so much time in that 13 days, and they painted my face with rainbow, uh, rainbow dot patterns, and that was... Um, a meaning that says you're invited to come see us. And I knew from spending time with them right there in California <clears throat> that behind the sound that this elder Dalo was playing, that there was <clears throat> an invitation to a deep ocean of constellations, connections. And it was beyond knowing. It was a feeling. And, and, and I felt that vibe, and I'm like, I have to pursue that. And I discovered that I had $8,000 in teacher's retirement fund from working at Rice University back in the day. And I cashed that to take them an 18-foot teepee, tons of clothes, keyboard from my original brother, and I four planes from Austin, Texas, uh, 48 hours to get there to Northern Territory. So Austin to LA, LA to Sydney, Sydney to Cairns, Cairns to Gove. And uh, Australia is a huge land <laughs> giant so it literally takes a day to go from sydney to northern territory um and i got there and i was greeted by the whole family a uh, big section of the family and we um that's where the journey began there yeah how would you say that experience has shaped you as a person and as a player of the didgeridoo imagine imagine this if you line if you line yourself up um to pursue your passions, and then your passion is so uh, so great and is so authentic like a real dancing fire that you start to download uh, the, the knowledge you need straight out of the thin air. And so it leads you to the source. And when you go find the source, the source itself, you'll discover that it has a higher passion of your own even about that subject that you're interested about. And so that's what happens to me when I fall in love with certain things like pottery or traditional Aboriginal music and whatnot. You know, and going to Northern Territory, the land itself is a potter. It shapes the senses. The land is always the potter, you know, and, and um, the land always shapes languages like the potter shaping clay. And so being there and in that culture environment, and the story as where I entered, there's a pretty heavy story. Uh, 
not a very, not a picnic, frankly. It's not a picnic. And um, so, yeah, the whole experience of being there physically in that land where you know in the Northern Territory, if y'all ever been there, as a human being, which I consider myself first an animal, then a human, all my animal senses were turned on every second there. You know something's looking at you, something's checking you out. Whether if it's a snake or whether if it's green ants, you're being checked out by some other relatives, green ants or spiders or birds of all kinds, snakes at all times. So that does something to a person's psyche, that raw essence of the land, like the sand flies. You don't need a, a clock, you don't need a, hand, a watch. On your, on your hand and your wrist because over there, everything is so intact. Nature is so intact that every hour comes something to tell you what time it is. The sand flies are early morning and, and afternoon. They live for one day, and I feel that the, the, they're the most powerful force of protection for that part of the world because they land on you like little princesses and they like flies vomit and vomit is acidic and you just swat yourself for like, Oh my God, what is that? A mosquito? What is that? A mosquito? But it's not, it's, it turns into this itchy red mark that you scratch yourself and, and you just scratch yourself to create in this endorphin releases in your brain. And, and see that, that right there is brain medicine right there. Something to talk about. You say, how does this shape me? In today's modern world, sitting like I am right now in my house in Austin, Texas, with no insects here, no forest, nothing to really cut me, uh, my brain, that is a forest in this head, if you look at a brain, the neurons are a forest of brain, uh, brain cells, uh, they're not getting fed. And the brain is like, hey, for thousands of years, I'm designed to look at through leaves so I can know if there's a predator I'm designed to go look at leaves to know, okay, this is not what I'm going to use as toilet paper. Designed to look through leaves to know if it's medicine or food. So we're designed to look at through forests. We're designed, and, and on a daily basis going out to nature, it's, a, it's not so romantic. It's beautiful, but not so romantic. But nature cuts naturally. You go walk in your bush country here in Austin, likely you're going to step on something to cut your foot or something's going to, some branch is going to, scrape across your skin and it's going to bleed a little bit. You come home and it's a little like, you know, it, it burns. Well, that's brain food. It, your brain, you don't get stuck up there. And today, unfortunately, we're facing lots of, in, in the West especially, psychological imbalances because the mind is pooping a lot. And that's not a curse word. I know it's, it's not. I know it's and, not. And, and it stinks up there. So... How did this experience shape me as you asked the question? And I went through a long journey to say, it shaped me greatly. It taught me that I need to go to the forest wherever I live so I can have my balance because my brain is a forest and it needs to visit itself. And when it doesn't, it starts to poop and stink and it gets stuck up there. Then we have to go grab a drug to shut it off or alcohol to shut it off. And that's not the way to be. And that's where the modern man is. So hopefully the future of our city planning and architecture allows us to gain um, this balance so we're psychologically more sound and grounded. So that's one, one fraction of how it, it shaped me as, a, as my being. In other words, it shaped you so greatly and so fundamentally that it pretty much altered your entire brain chemistry. It has. That, you know, it's like this, right? I like to, I, I, you know, surely I not just believe in science, but, I, you know, I rely on science and I'm grateful for science. I'm a geek and a caveman too. Uh, my parents are both scientists. So, you know, I trust science um, to give me information. And, and so at the same time, I like to go with my own senses to see things that I can't see. Right. And so um, I know for a fact that uh, if, if I'm not grounded psychologically, then I'm up there, my head stuck there. So, I got to go, and I've discovered, like my original family, which, by the way, they're called Yolngo. Yolngo is the name of the tribe there, which means the people. And I'll talk to them about them in a second. Um, 
when you're not feeling well up in your in your head and your your mind is going like a wildfire, okay, take yourself out, take your shoes off, literally go barefoot and feel different textures on your feet. And just pray that some sticker goes in your foot and makes you bleed. And so that your energy can come down to your feet, you know? And if you look at a forest, sometimes there's forest fires. Sometimes the forest has a, a tornado or, or uh, a major storm that destroys it. Well, you can either go and take care of the forest so it takes care of itself so that it regrows and fruits end up on the branches. And I feel that psychologically we're the same way. It's just that the way we're prepping up the soil of the, of the hurt forest um, is, I feel, out of balance uh, with medical drugs and whatnot. I definitely feel that there are ways that naturally we can rewire and restructure and redo the soil of our, the forest in our, in our minds. Uh, it's a big subject today, as you know, because there's so much, mm, so many issues in, in, in our country and other places about psychological problems regarding like people shooting each other or, or taking certain drugs um, just to calm this mind, you know, people are dying just to calm this mind. Yeah. Uh, so this trip that I've made has taught me very simple ways that I have created for myself and, and with the use of it, because the only way to protect the culture is to learn it and use it. And if you don't, it's going to be, held up in some university behind uh, the file, paper files of some intellectual property with money. That does not save culture. You got to learn it and use it and share it and light each other's candles. Otherwise it's obsolete in my book. So uh, yeah, uh, um, this is the story again. It's shaped me in in this way, application, technology, application of knowledge. And technology could be this phone that I'm holding my hand, or it could be a hollow stick that the termites eat the inside of. That's a didgeridoo. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. I have to admit that was probably one of the best answers I've ever heard to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, uh, um, I am an Austinite and we're weird, you know, and, and, uh, um, which just means just be yourself, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's all good. Uh, uh, but yeah. I feel so grateful, so grateful uh, to have uh, technology and, and um, in this modern life so that I can have modern cutting edge technology at the same time, really cherish my roots and, and find ways that um, fosters health and well-being yeah. at the same I, time. I feel like we just turned this show into Joe Rogan without the kush. Like we just literally turn it into Joe Rogan experience without the weed, you know, it's such, it, it, I mean, it's such refreshing change of pace. Don't get me wrong. but like, wow. Okay. So just let, let's quickly wrap this part up because I want to get us to the quick music break, but just one final question in summary, would you say the didgeridoo has completely changed your life in terms of how you see the world? Absolutely. Why? Because the didgeridoo is a rhythmic language. It's like language. Language, in a sense, is consonants and vowels dancing together. It's objects in motion. And so how do you paint your reality? And different languages paint this dance of existence, which is objects in motion, right? Like light is particle and wave. So the didgeridoo is a rhythmic language. So what does that mean? That means that the wind, what's more powerful than the wind? Can you build, have you seen anything that can stop the wind? No. It's no. very, very powerful, right? Right. Well, the wind comes, it's the goose pumping, it's the singing of the land, it's like the breath coming rhythmically. So in Texas, as y'all know, y'all, uh, the Sahara Desert starts singing midsummer and it starts singing her songs and we feel it and sometimes it comes over and turns into hurricanes. Well, the southeast wind, uh, it basically drives the waves to the shores here and in, 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 uh, and the coastlines of Texas, like Galveston, Corpus Christi, whatnot. And I used to be a surfer for a decade, and it's wind generated. So I have a very close relationship to the southeast wind. It has a unique essence about it. So no matter where you live, okay, if you go outside and you look at the clouds, that's the first news of the day for me. I always 
look out the window to see which direction the clouds are going. It's very important for us here. I don't know about they all, but over here in Austin, pollen center of the world. So if it's coming from the southeast, I can look at the trees, and the trees are dancing. They're like cheerleaders. They have pom-poms in their hands. When you look at the southeast wind and how the southeast wind comes in like a five-minute interval, just be with that wind. You'll see that it has a unique vibe. Download the rhythm of that dancing tree with your hands, clapping after it, whatever it is. Make a pattern for it. That pattern is a gift because the didgeridoo is like singing. The diaphragm, the vocal cords, the tongue, and the breath, it all follows this movement, this rhythm of the southeast wind. So my whole being, my blood, my whole body becomes fitting in the very vessel shape of the southeast wind. That spirit runs through my veins. And so the northwest, which is fixing to come over here, because we have very bipolar and manic skies in central Texas. If you don't like the Texas weather, wait 15 minutes, you know? So if it's coming from the north, the pollens are coming. We're a pollen center of the world. So what I'm saying is that didgeridoo is a rhythmic language where your breath follows things like a shadow. And just imagine all the things that move around you, they're all gifts. They're rhythmic gifts. And so this language is something I've learned the traditional ways of, which 99% of didgeridoo players do not know how to use, how to play it properly, how to use it, or even use it in their life. And that's where I come in. I've taught over 5,000 people these ways. All right. So as much as I think we would love to do that, I think it's time for everyone to take a quick breather. Let's take a quick break. But before I do that, I want to introduce our first musical guest, Olmid. Remember how we were talking about how you are the original creator of Opinion Wave, which is the opening for Olia's Opinions? Yeah. I'm not sure if you listened to the last episode, but on the last episode, we had a completely redid theme that was based on yours done by an amazing blues musician who we are about to promote right now. He literally just came out with an album called Heart, Body, Mind. The album is Heart, Body, Mind. It is out right now, iTunes and Spotify. Links will be in the description. Off My Mind is one of is the second track on this. The artist is Zach Crowell. So ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, Zach Crowell.
Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Off My Mind from the album Heart, Body, Mind by Zach Crow, who is the man actually that does the opening music for Olia's Opinions. He might get a double mention today. We'll see. Same with Olmi here. He might get a double mention, but we will see. Actually, for this track, though, I, I like this a lot. It's got that blues vibe, but actually reminds me a little of Dead Kennedys. Like, Holiday in Cambodia is one of my favorite songs, and... I heard in terms of the guitar, in terms of the tone anyway, remind me a lot of Holiday in Cambodia. I'm not sure that's what Zach was going for. If that was what he was going for, then great. I love sort of that vibe. And it's just something that really connects with me. I think it's a great second track. The um, and It's sort of like the way to kick off the album. It's the same way that uh, Breathe in the Air is the sort of kickoff song for Dark Side of the Moon. In, this, in the same case, all of my mind is a kickoff song for Heart, Body, Mind, which, by the way, I think I've said now at least five or six times throughout the course at, between the break and actually introduce it. But I will say it one more time. Album is Heart, Body, Mind. Once again, Heart, Body, Mind. The artist is Zach Crowd. The song was Off My Mind. This is available on iTunes and Spotify. All links will be in the description. And let's get back to All Meets. So... You were talking about your experience with the didgeridoo before we begin. So let's actually go into something a little bit deeper and something just, if people don't know what the didgeridoo is, let's explain. What exactly is the didgeridoo? The didgeridoo is an instrument. Uh, it's a wind instrument. That means your breath is involved to making the sounds. Yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, an instrument from Northern East Australia, Arnhem Land. Arnhem Land uh, was named by the Dutch because Dutch were very curious and the curiosity took them sailing around the world. They're master sailors. And so there's a place by Amsterdam called Arnhem where I actually been there where they make these ships that went to Northern Territory. And so I think in the early 1800s was when the first encounter with this instrument in a traditional setting with the native people there. There's 550 different species of eucalyptus and in, in Australia. And, and Northern Territory have a whole bunch of different species. And there's a, there's a, in, a very um, integrated mm, ecological connection system by where the termites that create this most amazing mounds um, basically choose, uh, go underneath the ground, build a highway tunnel underneath the ground and go choose a tree. And they go, they eat the inside of it and they transport the, the nutrients back to their mound. And they, they kind of live in the tree as well. And they don't eat all the way through because light would come through. They're sensitive to light. They're cousins of cockroaches. And also invaders could invade them. And so they leave it just hollow on the inside. Well, in Northern Territory, the people there and the tribes um, from thousands of years ago have basically uh, somehow came to discover this ecological occurrence and have turned that into a megaphone. So it's kind of like a trumpet. It's a trumpet as a megaphone trumpet, if you will. And so in Northern Territory, the, the tree is alive and the termites eat the inside and the, the people there, uh, they know how to select the tree properly, that it's properly eaten on the inside, and they cut it down and they shape it a little bit. They hollowed it out a bit more. Sometimes the inner part they call kundir, and you can actually burn it for insects, or if you have a stomach, you can eat a little piece of it. And sometimes there's even honey inside. They're bees. Um, anyways, uh, so the didgeridoo, the name itself, is not the traditional native name for the instrument the didgeridoo because it sounds when they to this one particular tribe in western northern territory it sounded like it sounded like didgeridoo it's an onomatopoeia so they called it the didgeridoo and so that as far as i've been told the dutch are the ones that have coined the term but the traditional name from it from it comes from the northern east australia um, so if you go to Northern Territory, go to like Northern East Tip, Arnhem Land is called. That's where the, the traditional name for the instrument, they call Yiraki. Yiraki. That's one name. There are a slew of different names from different tribes. Um, and it's a rhythmic language. Uh, and so the didgeridoo, actually, it's a way of seeing. It's learning to see before. 
It's a language connected to the land. And if you start to make a painting, make a song or a dance about something, you draw your attention to something. That's why you're drawing. I'm going to draw this pattern. The patterns come and tell you about themselves. And so the didgeridoo is an opportunity. It's, a, it's kind of like an open door to seeing things. And so this wind instrument from the northern east Australia that they call yiraki, the history of it is basically a tool to connect the breath to the very patterns of the land. If you go fishing, because they live right by the, by the water, the sea there, Aerofora Sea, they have paintings, songs, rhythms, and dances. They use creativity as vessels to house knowledge and wisdom because th those candles don't die, right? Yeah. Just think of all the songs that you know in your heart. If one of them is played in the first 10 seconds, you know what song it is. They use this gravitational pull of the heart-mind unity to house wisdom. And so the didgeridoo is a hollow tree, hollowed by termites, by where, by the buzzing of the lips, <laughs> makes a drone sound, the tongue moves, the voice is activated, and you're rhythmically beatboxing a unique language of consonants and vowels. And it has this way of breathing called circular breathing, which in Northern Territory, Yoruba people don't even have a name for that. Circular breathing is... Uh, a continuous playing where the air gets pushed out and you take quick sips with your nose in a rhythmic fashion. So it was continuous. All right. So it's continuous breathing. So I can play for a, a song that's a minute and a uh, minute, or I can play something uh, for like five minutes per se. And, you know, so you develop uh, the strength to play it as such. And so this is a wind instrument. It's a language. So imagine this, okay? So you may, you may learn connections through science and science books today, right? Right. And you can see the theory uh, or solving for something or seeing the connections to things. You can learn economics and seeing the relationships of connections of weather patterns to like economy in Northeast America. The didgeridoo is a chance to actually become those patterns and seeing the relationships. It turns your very human animal senses on to see patterns in the natural world, which as Steven Pinker would say, living out in the land is the highest intelligence test ever to live out there. You better be real aware and connected because it's, it'll take all your intelligence to survive being outside. And so the Yolngu people may be barefooted. They may not have architectures of middle East, they may not have all these different things that you can see elsewhere, like the Champs-Élysées or the Louvre and all that, but they have inner engineering. Their architecture is inside and it's connected to the natural world. For every single fish that you can't even see, they have paintings for. They have songs and dances for. They have inner connections for. And they use paintings, songs, rhythms, and dances to connect everyone together like one, one person. So the didgeridoo, an instrument from Northern Territory, is an invitation. It's a rhythmic language tool. It's a wind instrument that allows you to be humble enough to see that you can just leave yourself as who you think you are, big or small, and become something else in rhythmic ways. And that's sacred. In terms of also its origins, though, I had all, and, and this is where I got a little conflicted in the research. I had thought that it came like there's an origin from the didgeridoo in Dreamtime, which is, of course, Aboriginal mythology. Is that true or is not from Aboriginal mythology? It's purely Aboriginal. Um, and, of course, there's so many tribes, right? There's so many tribes. Uh, there's a lot of... The rainbows, the rainbow bridge from heart to heart, from the modern to the native hearts, have not prepared, not properly been connected. Right. They haven't been connected. We've kind of, in a quest, humanity has this curious, like a child, connect, curiosity to seek and discover and unravel and create new fun things, you know? to create new ways to do things, create cars, computing, cell phones, all the stuff, curiosity brought this. Yet we've 
kind of sailed far away and the bridge has been a bit burned from our actual roots and we're suffering from it. And it's, it's kind of like this big nose on our face that we can't, we've forgotten that we have. These senses are dull. And so Native Ways worldwide has um, a deep respect for the connections and the fruits and the medicines for, for the people. And that has been swept away and put aside and not in a very harm, harmonious way. You know, and so the, their way of seeing connections is quite profound and very deep. You know how hyper hyperlink and hypertext works? Mm-hmm. Hypertext is the nature of the web. You see a body of content on a page, a web page connected to a to a link that's underlined with blue. That's hyper hyper hypertext. They have the interconnections of the land by these songs paintings and dances and the didgeridoo of course accompanying that the northern territory aboriginal people they call them they're called yolngo which means the people they're divided by two mother and child tribe and then within the mother and child tribe they're uh, grouped up in subgroups clans and so each clan have their own melody when they sing you can hear the song you know which which clan is singing and that clan have responsibility of the songs paintings and dances and the connections to specific parts of the land that's been given to them over time and they all live together as a tribe as mother and child and they all hold the the culture together which is really hanging on a thread at the moment for many many reasons but in 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 the entire continent of australia where i visited is where the most of the culture of the Aboriginal people is still very alive. There's just coals and some ambers underneath ashes, frankly. And so they have planted seeds. The elders planted seeds in my heart, and it grew to fruit trees, and I've been sharing their ways. And it's affected my life tremendously. It's benefited my life tenfold. It's allowed me to light many candles of self-expression and allowed me to be able to see through things in my own life, and it's enriched my life. It really has. So besides you, how much of an impact has the didgeridoo had on Aboriginal culture? I mean, you know, the the Aboriginal culture itself, you know, can you imagine that you go out into nature and you have question marks? The modern man, come on, you modern man, listen, modern woman, modern man, you know what I mean. Yeah. Go out to nature. Go five minutes deep in a bush. I'm sure there'll be fear. And but questions, what is this? What is that? What is this? What is that? Oh, is that gonna kill me? Is that medicine? Is that poison? You know? We don't know. We're disconnected, right? Mm-hmm. So not only do they have answers to those, they have the connections, deep connections, and the tools they have used and they've created to create an entertaining entertainment they have housed their knowledge in entertainment uh ceremonies they used to go hunt spear fishing to spear you need a spear thrower an outlattle and a spear and you need eyes that's what you need they tell me to spear fish and each man uh used to go with five or, or more spears and walking the beach, dispersed along the beach. And first, they have to make sure there's no saltwater crocodiles. Now, saltwater crocodiles. And they have sharks. They have all kind of sea creatures that, that could really harm you. But they have songs, rhythms, and, and, and patterns for every one of them that help guide them stay safe and strong together. And they would all fish and fish together and come back and the whole tribe get together and they would feed on it. And afterwards, from that experience, it's fresh experience for new songs, new dances. And that stays lit in candles in everyone's heart. The woman who's pregnant is singing the songs and and dancing. So that gets imprinted on a baby, you know? For everything your your eyes can can set on in their land that they have paintings and songs and dances and connections to. So that's, you know, that has impacted them tremendously because when your breath is connected to things, that means that your whole spirit is connected like an inner web to the natural world. 
All right. And in terms of Western culture as a whole, how much do you think that the Jujudus has impacted Western culture? Quite a bit thus far. You know, with the advent of planes, airplanes, Didgeridoo crossed over borders and places, you know, and, and many other places in Australia, many different uh, partial Aboriginals or Aboriginal people have come to discover their roots and have started to play. You've heard of a and band called uh, Like a Storm by any chance? I haven't heard of them, no. No, um, they use a lot of didgeridoo actually in their, uh, in their songs. In fact, the reason why I called this title I Say I Am Free is actually from one of their songs, which they heavily use the didgeridoo. And I'm not going to oh, repeat yeah. the title of the song but because it's not really that relevant. But it's definitely something that, like, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, my God, there's a didgeridoo in a rock, and, like, a heavy metal rock song. It's so amazing, you know? Yeah, I mean – you know, this beautiful instrument, even if you're a novice and you pick it up and you make the sound by buzzing your lips, it makes the drone sound. Uh, the wind it comes from your diaphragm. The diaphragm generates that wind power energy. It goes to your lungs and it goes out to your lips. Your lips are like curtains and they move and it makes the drone sound. And so even a novice person who makes a basic drone sound will attract. It's kind of like a big cowbell of attention for everything it's the sound comes out like a rainbow of sound and it's very attractive it's magnetic you want to run to it it has spirit just like the the bagpipe it's spirit filled very powerful so even if a person is not playing the traditional ways and practicing it in a traditional way it's quite a lovely and attractive sound especially when the player knows to play it in key because it comes in different keys. And that that's a different topic. You know, the, the modern didgeridoo player has the didgeridoos made from different materials today that is in specific keys for accompaniment of music, you know, and instruments and whatnot. I, for example, have, I play, I have my own album and I've played with many DJ uh, friends professionally where uh, I have a didgeridoo that's it's a slide didgeridoo. It's called a didgeridoo trombone or digibone, which I can slide in and out of keys. And as a musician, I've had so much practice, thousands of hours of practice and, and performances to be able to like jump onto any music and be able to like get in key and, and add, add the didgeridoo properly so that it lifts up the wings of the song, if you will. That's pretty impressive, actually. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a didgeridoo as like a didgeridoo trombone combo. I had no idea that existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For like about seventy bucks, you can order one from the didgeridoo store. My friends Graham and Trish that I love so much they they have that store in California. But yeah, you can get a didgeridoo, a didgeridoo trombone, digibone, and a company, and get in and out of keys. And it's pretty cool. You can mic it up, and it sounds wicked, man. It's a I love this instrument, man. I'll tell you what. It's it basically strengthens your rhythmic breathing, just like a boxer, a swimmer, runner does. You know, so it's a rhythmic. It, it really goes into your neuro neurotransmitters. It goes deep in there, because if your breath is connected to a certain rhythm for a minute or two, and that's training you to be a dancer. When I went to Northern Territory after Hurricane Katrina, I was in the Virgin Islands in St. John, and I went, discovered that someone very dear to me passed away there in Northern Australia. And I went for his funeral and I did not know their dances. And I was a part of the ceremony and I danced for two weeks, five hour days. And because I had played so much and practiced, my feet moved, just moved just, just fine with the songs and their dances. And their dances are extraordinary. Their dances and ceremony. I mean, you know, when you, the greatest ceremony ever is nature, you know, you you know in Austin, Texas, for example, when we have thunderstorms and lightning, it's like Mozart in the sky, and nature has so many pointers to innovative harmony, and the Aboriginal culture is directly tapped into that, and it's ever present. It's not written in stone and in books. The book is read every day. They learn. They know how to read the land like a book, and it's fresh every day. It's not stale, doesn't turn into some dogma, doesn't turn into some religion. It's like a spring water, continually comes to nourish the family and continually gives a 
clear mirror to see oneself. And that's pretty deep. That is pretty deep. And that actually leads us into our final commercial before we wrap up. And uh, don't forget, Omid, we're going to just keep you on for one more segment. We're going to have a little debate at the end. And then, of course, that'll be the end of it. But before we wrap it up, I want to just bring up our final musical guest of the of the show. I always find that, like, especially on this episode, the guests, the musical guests, they all have some sort of relation to me, and they it's very meaningful. For example, Zach Crow has does the Always Opinions opening. All made, of course, is not only my cousin; he designed the look and the sound of the show, which I'm amazingly grateful for. And this next guest, like me, she comes from the city of Pittsburgh. In fact, as I talk about this, I think about the fact that the Steelers um, literally just won a game against the Rams. We now have a winning record for the first time this season. Bit of a side note. But this person we've had on our show before, um, my mom actually loves her a lot. I, she literally, whenever I play her songs in the car, she just she gets really excited by it. And this is from her latest single. It's called Milk Carton. It's available on iTunes and Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, she's absolutely amazing. She's funny. She is extremely talented, has a voice that can outlast almost anyone. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Love Child. Once again, Milk Carton, the newest single from Love Child. And I'll tell you what, for me, Love Child was always great. And I loved what she did last time on our show. I believe the song that we actually put on was, uh, it was either Safe Spaces or or Together. I think it was Safe Spaces. And she blew me away. And I even told her this myself, that she blew me away. She reposted 
my reaction to this. I hope she reposts this one too, because I'm going to say it. She just outdid herself. She outdid herself in so many ways. I mean, she updated her sound, kept the vocals, but it's really more like so well put together. It, it blew my mind. And then at the end, the last 30 seconds, half timing it. It's like, oh, it's perfect. Like, for me, it's just like the ending of This Is America or Redbone. I know both are by Gambino, but let, hear me out. Hear me out. What they did for both songs, they edited it off on something completely unexpected, but it makes sense in the, in the sense of the song. This was the exact same way. And Love Child, if you're listening, you outdid yourself. You ought to be proud. I think more people should listen to this. It's Milk Carton. The single is Milk Carton. The artist is Love Child, and the links will be in the description below. Let's finish this off, Omid, with a little bit of a debate. Now, Omid, you know me pretty well, and you also know that I'm a bit of a classical music nut. Okay. The one thing I've noticed throughout my time in looking at classical music, there's always one instrument that's missing. Like, it, it may not be like a didgeridoo, it could be like any type of instrument. But I've always thought, should the didgeridoo be part of a Western orchestra? I mean, there are many pieces written for it, but should it be, do you think? I mean, you know, uh, even in the, in the orchestra, there's not like one instrument that takes over. I mean, sometimes a violin comes, sometimes a French horn comes. They create... Um, they they paint they paint a vision or they create a certain vibe and they become the center stage of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the didgeridoo should be added permanently to it. It just depends on the intention of the piece. Um, it could certainly add to it, but it's just like cooking food. You don't always want to add garlic. You don't always want to add a unique spice or cardamom. You know, depends on what you want to make. And if, if you're going to add it, sometimes you want to bring it forth and make it a centerpiece and sometimes not. Mm. But it just depends on the use of it and how it's used. Even, even uh, and, and other songs, if, if you just like, let's just make it easier because, you know, uh, a modern symphony with all the instrumentation, a slew of instruments coming together to give you the goosebumps, ultimately. Um, Didgeridoo doesn't always add to to the vibe, you know. It, it just it just depends on on what the intention is. Um, I just you know, if Rothko was going to paint a minimalist painting, him and Van Gogh would not have mixed well. The styles and the colors and even the ochres, the, the ochres of of painters like Rembrandt or Van Gogh. You know, they were making ochres from the local land. So the local land right there is historic physical history, and it's presenting you the colors that you see. And so Rothko didn't do that, it's, you know, in, in, in the industrious um, modern downtown painting, rolling or painting with a brush with modern paint. Different vibe, different intention, you know. So I, I don't feel like it should be added permanently as an instrument because then you say, hey, what about a ukulele? What about a native flute? You know, what about the Persian setar? Let's just throw everything in. There is a reason why the instruments in orchestras are placed there uh, to bring you to a certain state of consciousness. Um, and I think as a guest, the didgeridoo can come to embellish or give a certain vibe. But to be permanently part of it, I don't think I don't think that's necessarily an overall set in stone law to be made. Even in Australia, when they're playing, there's one person playing the iraqi. The elders are sitting down with sticks in their hands, and which is a very binary thing. I never mentioned this to you, but this, uh, I'm sure you've seen Aboriginal elders singing with sticks in their hand. Well, why a stick? That's primitive. Oh, really? Is it primitive? Well, those sticks are, are like laser sounds, and they're setting down the fingerprint of the specific rhythm that they're singing about. So 
very binary. Rhythm is either zero or one, off and on. And so back to the topic, <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel that we should necessarily like set in stone a didgeridoo inside of something. And this is coming from a didgeridoo player. What's that? And this has come from a didgeridoo player, if anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, everything has a place. Like, I'm not going to play punk rock song for people eating dinner, you know? There's, um, you know, there's even guitar pedals, you know? Um, you know, uh, different, different guitar pedals. You know, the, uh, we just saw The Cure, which were amazing, at ACL Festival. And the kind of... Uh, guitar pedal that he uses, which is very dream-esque, you know, of, of cobblestone and brick and mortar and rain sounds bouncing around, um, giving you what the church has really promised to give, that beyond, beyond, the, beyond these limitations of a human existence, a cure with Robert Smith utilizing that one really powerful guitar effect. And that shouldn't be used on every single guitar song out there. So like anything else, right? Of course. Appropriately. So if it is incorporated into an orchestra, it should be used in moderation. Yes, indeed. Like, you know, ultimately something has to transmit. If it's a painting, it's got to transmit. Uh, if it's a dance, it can transmit. And if the choices of uh, tools to help transmit the songs doesn't go across, for example, right? I went to the edge of the Grand Canyon and I had a didgeridoo with me. And I play, I play both traditional and modern style. Since it's a language and language is a shadow of how our senses, if I'm going to be wearing shoes and clothes most of the time, my didgeridoo language will change, and there's different styles of didgeridoo. Um, I tried to play the traditional style over the edge of the Grand Canyon, but it didn't fit. But I played a very spacey sound, very long sounds with vocalizations and whatnot. And the sound went over a mile, hitting escarpments on the other side and bouncing. The sound kept echoing. I was able to play with myself over there in a continuous fashion and the sound kept coming around after like 30 seconds. So even then the style and the manner to play the instrument was fitting the space. And I learned sound fills space like water does. It was really interesting how, how it goes. Yeah. Well, Omid, first of all, I just want to say thank you for, um, for being on the show. You really brought an amazing insight into the didgeridoo. So for our, our listeners, if you have social media, how about you um, drop us some social media? Like, where can we follow you? Okay, so um, first of all, thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Um, I, I am a grasshopper. I talk about many things at the same time. That's because I'm a Windows user. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Thank you for your time. Um, I have walked the walk. Um, I've learned ways of making patterns on my own and it's been approved by all my elders and I've made local patterns and I have over 300 patterns of stories of my interaction with local land in Austin, Texas. I have a website called where my springs.com. Barden Springs. Like yeah. W E A R my springs where like you wearing something where my springs.com go check out my, um, go check out my patterns on things and you can support me that way and send me any kind of information. Um, and I, maybe I can give you a link to my music. I have, I have an album that was commissioned by the Youth International Festival. Um, I, have a, um, I do have a Bandcamp's um, link. Maybe you can put it up there. Uh, definitely uh, will. will be in the description. Yeah. And uh, I also have a, um, I have a brand. I, I create brands for companies. So if you want any kind of brand, you know, a person who knows the patterns of the land can create your brand that expresses itself fully. So how about on the major um, platforms uh, at Omid Austin on Instagram? Yeah, you can go to, uh, uh, you can find me at Omid Austin, O-M-I-D Austin, 
or where my springs as well. You can look at where my springs. Okay. I have many dot coms and many different yeah. ways to get in contact with me. Any of these things work. Yeah. And of course, that will be in the description. And in my case, you can follow this show on all three major platforms Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Lovelearn Debate. You can go to lovelearndebate.com to listen to this episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Give us a review. Five stars would be wonderful. And then go to shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash Lovelearn Debate if you want to pick up some sweet merchandise like this awesome. Olia's Opinions Power of Words sweater, which I'm currently wearing right now. My thanks, of course, to Omi Larijani and Zach Krau, both for their contributions to this episode in terms of their contributions to the theme, musical guests, and uh, of course, we have guest panelists Omi uh, for this episode. Imogen Aiken, thank you for your generosity and lending your voice to this episode. And Love Child, as usual, thank you for your musical contribution. That is it for this episode. I will see you in a few weeks ready to go. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, keep loving, keep learning, keep debating. The revolution will return. And I'll see you then on Olia's Opinions. Goodbye. This has been an LLD production recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.